You are listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. To Faithful Men is a project that started in 2006 to digitize and preserve old sermon and study tapes of Elder Wally Flanagan, Elder Hassel Wallace, and Elder Mike Strevel. They were pastors and teachers, and they studied to teach and train up others to continue in the ways of truth. I am thankful to be able to provide you with these sermons and studies, and I hope they will be a blessing to you. Let's continue this morning in our study of the parables, and that will take us to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 16. There are two parables in this chapter, both of which deal in some regard to, to money and the handling of money. <clears throat> I'm going to take the latter one first. Um, I guess I ought to just be humble enough to admit I'm not, I'm not 100% sure I know what the first one's talking about. Um, of course, I'm probably not 100% sure I know what the second one's talking about, but uh, the first parable here in this in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke uh, ends with an, an amazing moral that there's been a lot of discussion about. Um, the parable of the steward who was about to be kicked out of his place, and and so he rushed to to the his master's uh, debtors and urged them to pay less than what they owed him. And the the master was pleased, commended him for what he'd done. The moral of the story was make friends of rich people so that when you have great need, you'll have somebody to turn to. Well, um, there's that's that's an interesting interesting parable and um, there's something I'm kind of thinking about asking the church to consider that may uh, be a better time to introduce that that parable and if I don't ask the church to consider this I'll preach on it one of these days I hope but let's go to the second one here and the two parables kind of flow together contextually, with the basic thought that, um, well, we'll summarize it in verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Now, we need to stop here and notice that in the context, that which is least is money. Now, very often, we put money in a little bit higher place than that, but in in the economy of God, money's the least. If one is not faithful in the least of things, that is the money, whatever money comes into your hands, well, he says, how will he entrust to us the true riches? And so that introduction is made to this this uh, parable of the rich man and Lazarus. He also tells us that no man can serve two masters repeating that which is in the Sermon on the Mount, commonly referred to, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. 
So when we think of the least being money, obviously the greatest is God. The things of the kingdom, the spiritual things to which God has with which God has entrusted us. And God has entrusted you and me with some money. You and I have some money. And we trust that God has entrusted us with more important things. The kingdom of God. The things of the kingdom. The glory of the kingdom. Yea, the honor of the king himself. Those are the true riches. And if we are not able to handle the the uh, least of things, natural riches, money, how can we serve in that which is really important? And then he says this, and then it says this after he said that in verse 13, and the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. Some of the modern translations use the word which is probably quite appropriate. They sneered at him. Jesus said, you can't serve God in money. You'll, you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll despise one and hold it. You cannot do that. And, and they derided him. They sneered at him. Now, they sneered at him because they were of the wealthier class. They had, they had position, and they also had possessions. So they sneered at Jesus. And he said unto them, You are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Highly esteemed among men is, is the things that men pursue in life. Fame, fortune, uh, prestige. All of those things that are important to the natural man are the things that are abomination in the sight of God. That is, they are an abomination if that is the goal of our lives. Now, he says this, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. God is saying here that there's about to be a change. A, a significant change. The law and the prophets were until John. But now the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. Well, let's, let's stop and admire this flower for a moment before we move on. I love, I love the word here because it's, it's very uh, indicative of its usage in the Scriptures. He says, every man presses into it. This is the exact same word that is translated every man in Hebrews 2 where it said that Jesus Christ, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And there are those who would have us to believe that every man there is every individual member of the human race. But that is no more every individual member of the human race than this is every individual member of the human race. For indeed, every man was not pressing into the kingdom of God then, nor in any other age, nor yet today. Is every individual member of the human race pressing into the kingdom of God? He's saying here, every kind of man. There's going to be a change here. The law and the prophets were until John, but now the kingdom of God. And now the Gentiles are going to be brought into relation with God. This is a constant theme throughout the Testament. We miss Great theological truth if we don't, don't understand that. Well, we'll pass from that and we'll take a look at the parable. Some people have trouble calling this a parable because the Bible doesn't specifically call it a parable. But it doesn't call the first one in chapter 16 a parable either. Um, a parable is, is a story that Jesus told to make a point. And this is a story 
that Jesus told to make a point. It may be a true story. Jesus may be drawing from a true uh, story. This may be a real example. And the difference, the significant difference in this story than many of the others, most all of the others for that matter, is that this is the only one in which someone is given a name. And the only one given a name in this is the poor man. Lazarus is given a name. So let's read the let's read the story here. Perhaps a parable. Doesn't matter whether it is exactly a parable or not. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple, fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou hast Thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto him from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. <clears throat> well, we have before us here a, at once a sobering parable, but also one which should be the cause of some rejoicing in our hearts. Here is compared and contrasted two men, one rich, one poor. Now, the rich man fared sumptuously every day. The poor man was laid at the rich man's gate, who is sometimes called dives. You may see that occasionally come through. It comes from the Latin translation of the Bible, which one of these words here to describe last, the, the uh, rich man is given to him as a name. So you hear the word dives. That's what he is. the rich man is often called. He fared sumptuously every day. The poor man, Lazarus, um, his, his description is one of a pitiful condition. And he was laid, that is, he someone brought him. He was not able to, even under his own power, come to the gate of the rich man. And he lay there and hoped that he would be able to eat some of the scraps that they threw out from the rich man's house. And the dogs came and, and licked his wounds. There seems to be some mercy 
in that seemingly gross scene there of dogs licking the sore places on someone. There actually seems to be some healing benefits from that, as dogs do to themselves if they're hurt. Um, matter of fact, we're not averse to doing that to ourselves when we are hurt. You cut your finger, you get, your first instinct is, ah, stick it in your mouth and, well, whatever. Um, and maybe that was uh, before the days of uh, antibiotics or creams, bacteria, what do they call us? Anyway, um, here we have contrasted two very different people. Now, there's a moral to this story that we must we must receive here, even though also in the sense in which this is not following the common form of a parable, there is no moral drawn for us. Um, one is left to, to make his own moral from this as opposed to others of the parables, not all of them, but many of them, in which the moral is drawn for us. Now, first of all, I think we need to consider this truth, that the parable is not telling us that poor people go to heaven and rich people go to hell. That's, that's not what this parable is telling us. For indeed, into whose bosom did Lazarus go? He went into the bosom of one of the richest men who ever lived on the earth, Abraham, who was an extremely wealthy man. So we're not talking about rich and poor, precisely, because there are rich people, I'm sure, who go to heaven. And there are poor people, I'm sure, who go to hell. Solomon said wisely, when he, in his prayer to God, he said, Lord, bless me not to have so much that I would forget you, but please help me not to ever have so little that I might be tempted to dishonor you and steal. And so we're not talking about rich and poor. We're not, we're not setting class against class here. But I think what we are looking at here is something that all of us need to consider, especially we Americans, because all of us relatively would be more apt to fit into the class of Dives than into the class of Lazarus. We would, we would come closer to the rich man than we would to the poor man. Every one of us, basically, fares sumptuously every day. I mean, look at us. We're all well fed. Um, we sat in our house last night and a cold rain fell on us and we sat in front of our artificial fire. And um, in our family worship, I thank God that we had a warm, dry place to be. We have plenty of food to eat, nice clothes to wear. And so we, we fare sumptuously every day. Well, there's no sin in faring sumptuously. That cannot be the point of this parable. Although the Bible does tell us very plainly that they who want to be rich, those who strive to be rich, fall into many testings and trials and that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So while each of us fits more into the category of the rich man than, than the poor man, we need to take heed to what must be the moral of this story, although the moral is not drawn for us. Now, it is important to notice here that Lazarus was not just a poor man in town. Here's a rich man in town, a poor man in town. No, Lazarus 
was brought to the rich, this rich man, this particular rich man's gate every day. He, lay, he was laid. Someone put him there. And he hoped to eat the, the scraps, the table scraps of the rich man. And his only uh, medicinal uh, properties that he enjoyed was the dogs who came and flicked the sores on his body. And so there's got to be something here more poignant than just the rich and poor, and that is this. The rich man's sin was not that he had money. His sin was that he did not relieve the poor with the money that he had. He did not help the poor. He had no compassion on the poor. He gave little, if any, thought to the fact that even though he fared sumptuously every day, and this, this man in the context was probably a Pharisee because um, that's who he's going on with. Remember the Pharisees sneered at him before this parable is told. And this Pharisees were religious people. Once again, we, we find ourselves a little more aligned with the Pharisees in that we, we are religious people. And there's nothing evil in that, of course. It's desirable. So, here we are in America, and here we are, each of us individually, and what do we do with what we have? Now, I don't believe there's any condemnation of the rich man who fared sumptuously every day. Abraham fared sumptuously every day. The sin lay, undoubtedly, in the fact that his, his heart of compassion was shut up against this very man who lay right at his gate. You know, we have been blessed with some wonderful opportunities as a church in in the last ten years, particularly with the uh, evangelistic work that are being done in, in foreign countries. And um, I read I read Brother Gus Harder's newsletter just yesterday. It came in the mail. And, I read it with great joy and great conviction. And uh, when I saw not only is, is the gospel prospering in that land, churches are being established, people are being brought to the truth, uh, people are rejoicing in, in the wonderful doctrine of the grace, sovereign grace of God such as we love here in America. And God is blessing us to have some part in that. Not only is that taking place, but also there are great acts of mercy taking place in, in the, the uh, benevolent works that especially Sister Betty Joe is, is involved with in, in the clinic there. And then, of course, we have personal knowledge of, of the work in, in India with Brother Guna and the work with the orphanages there. And we remember the words of, of the Lord, uh, of, of James, the Lord, uh, through James, that uh, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this to keep yourself unspotted from the world, to visit the widows and orphans in their affliction. We have had, we have had personal, excellent opportunities to actually alleviate the suffering of some person on this planet. We, I've been all over, I've been all over America. And, and I've never encountered, uh, beggars such as you encounter everywhere 
in the third world countries. I've never, in, in all of my travelings all, all over America, I have never seen one child living in the street. One child eating out of the gutter. I've never seen that. But you go into these third world countries like the Philippines or Kenya or India, it's as common as dirt to see children and, and, and women, often women and old people, uh, scrounging through piles of trash and, and begging and stealing and doing whatever they possibly can to, to get a little crust of bread. Indeed, they, they do eat the crumbs that fall from the Master's table. And God has blessed us with wonderful, excellent opportunities to, to do that. And, and I, would, I would say this. If, if you have not personally availed yourself of, of the blessing of sponsoring one of these orphans or, or one of these works, I, I, I hope that you would be so convicted of that today that you would take that up immediately. Because here we fare sumptuously every day. And there are people whose, whose suffering and whose poverty we can alleviate. Now, the problem with all of that is that Christianity at large has tended to, to narrow the whole scope of evangelism to personal benevolence. And let me tell you, that's not the great purpose of the gospel. The great purpose of the gospel is to feed men's souls. It's to bring the truth, Jesus Christ, to a dying world. That's the great purpose of the gospel. And it is to bring these eternal truths to them that God has primarily sent us. But in doing of that, all throughout the Scriptures, we read of people who, who are mindful of the poor. We're taught in Acts chapter 15 where they were having this huge controversy over the place of circumcision and works and salvation. And, and they narrowed it down to, to this. Peter said, We believe that by the grace of God we're saved even as they, but we do call on men to do some simple things. Some things that were very important to their Jewish sensitivities. That is that you abstain from fornication, sexual immorality, and from blood. Don't, don't eat any blood. Now that, that just, you know, that just was too much for them. You can't eat a rare steak. You gotta make sure it's cooked from things strangled from blood and to remember the poor. Always remember the poor. These things were kind of fundamental, essential elements of gospel life. And so we today have this blessing of, of being able to share our material wealth. And, you know, like the thing in, in, in India, $25 a month. You know, to those of us who fare sumptuously every day, that's not much. Matter of fact, it's very little. And it ought to be more to us than just appeasing our consciences. It, it ought to be something that we, every one of us do with an eye to the glory of God. Every, every time that we give to some evangelistic work, and this church has been generous, and, and you as individuals have been generous to, to support the work of the spread of the gospel and, and to spread the work of, of, uh, of building churches. And, and those things are also important. I've, I put on my computer in the office back there, uh, uh, on my wallpaper, they call it, a picture that was sent to me from Africa. You know, the money that we recently sent to Nairobi. They have bought this little piece of property, and the picture is of them erecting a structure on it, a structure which you and I would would uh, despise 
in for its simplicity and its and its uh, crudeness, uh, but yet to them represents a a respectable place to worship. You know, if we shut up our bowels of compassion towards those people and people like that, I, I cannot but believe that, that this parable is speaking words to us of, of somber seriousness. And to America, I'm, I'm thankful that our people, the primitive Baptists, as we are known among ourselves and to the world, have, have risen up to, to really meet this challenge of, of evangelism and the spread of the gospel and, and, and to the relieving of the, even the material needs of people in foreign lands. I fear sometimes lest we would be too much of, of the benevolence and, and too little of the gospel, but it should not, it should be balanced in both. Thank you for listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Also, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please share it with others and help our ratings by giving us five stars and writing a review within your podcast app. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Mm-hmm.